Welcome to the Been There, Got Out podcast. I'm Lisa, a state certified domestic violence advocate and veteran of more than eight years in the trenches of the legal system, the last five successfully representing myself. And I'm Chris. I'm a certified high conflict divorce coach. And between the two of us, we have all this knowledge and experience that we never wanted. But now we can put it to great use, providing expert guidance to people in high conflict divorce and custody situations so you have the best chance in court and beyond. Having the right support from people who get it is so critical to getting you and your children through it as unscathed as possible. And that's exactly what we do through our interviews with experts and other content right here on this podcast. So let's get to it. In this episode, we welcome back Christine Cocciola for an enlightening and emotional interview, starting with a letter from an abusive parent to a child and getting into how our children are affected by the dynamic in a psychologically abusive home. Christine also talks about specific ways to handle when a child or teenager comes back from visiting the other parent, as well as what to do when kids act abusively towards you, and lots more. Take it away, Lisa. Everybody, it's Lisa from Been There, Got Out, and this Instagram Live has been um, we've been looking forward to for a while. I think this is my um, an interview with Christine Cocciola, who is coercive control, is IPV. Um, it's I think it's like our third one that we've done together publicly. There she is. Let me see if I could get you on, Christine. I figured if I couldn't get you on, I would just do a really long introduction. But I think I was going to say that the two of us um, actually met in an interesting way through uh, both of us submitting live testimony for Jennifer's Law in Connecticut. There you are. Hi again. Hi. Okay. Just wanted to check your volume. So I was just saying we met through... Um, well, we didn't meet directly right away, but virtually we both submitted live testimony for Jennifer's Law like almost a year ago in Connecticut, and then um, it passed and went into effect on October 1st of 2021, right in time for me to go back to court in Connecticut, <laughs> so I'm armed, and, um, and then we got to meet live face-to-face -face at the Jennifer's Law conference. I see we're getting love from Paris. Oh, my God. Wow. That's so cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we met, but then I also saw you virtually, and this is what we're going to start with, uh, at the International Coercive Control Conference, where you read this really powerful letter that you put together from, a, from an abuser to a child, and I want you to start with that first. I think we'll just not even introduce anymore and get right to it. That sounds great. Thank you so right. much for having me back. Oh, thank you um, so much for coming back. So many people have been like, I want to see, I want to see more of her. Um, so compliance is often an act of survival. That's the name of it. Uh, dear child, I know that you, I know that you thought that you knew me so well. Perhaps I was the fun parent and maybe even the one that didn't make you do as many chores. Or maybe I was the bear in the home or both intermittently. Or it could have been that my behaviors were mostly directed to your protective parent. This led you to feeling confused, never really knowing how I might react. You've, you often felt unsafe or worse, trapped. But now you have figured it out. It took you some time and I had to reinforce my coercion over you repeatedly. Experts call this coercive persuasion. But there is no mistaking it any longer. My love is conditional. And since your other parent has chosen to escape from this relationship, I will now need to intensify my control over you. You will need to please me. Possibly you've already been doing this, or I will retaliate against the adult victim and perhaps you too. But you already know this, since you have seen what happens to the other parent when I do not get my way. My retaliation may be overt and also covert. I will undermine your relationship with the adult victim I will make you feel insecure, unsure of who to trust, and ultimately you may decide to align with me simply to ensure that you do not receive the wrath of me. You will begin to regulate your behaviors based on your anticipation of my reaction. I also may play the hero by giving you exactly what you want, as much freedom as you request, or perhaps I will play the victim and then you will need to take care of me and show me sympathy. I'm most certain to accuse the adult victim of everything that I have done and do to them. 
Your other parent, a victim of my covert and possibly over abuse for years, may be triggered by your behaviors, which will make it harder for both of you to cope. I will most certainly block any form of therapy and probably turn you against family and friends that are important parts of your life, particularly if they are people who support the adult victim. This is my goal, to destroy any relationship you have with the adult victim, to destroy any parts of your life that are good and positive for your development. It keeps me in power, and that is always what is best for me. The end result may be you're seeking similar relationships in your own life or being the perfect prey for abuse or even possibly an offender. And it's possible due to this psychological abuse based on course of control, you will have self-sufficiency issues, significant anxiety and trauma, self-medicate and or self-harm. None of this matters to me. All that really matters is that you no longer have any affection for the other parent. All that really matters is that I win. So good. Thanks. You know, that, that like so many people have been affected by that letter. And I feel like every time I see you or enter, I'm, I'm like, she needs to read that letter. So I'm going to take a clip of that and post it again <laughs> all over the place. Um, let's talk about some of the ways that kids are affected by emotional abuse and, and coercive control, um, especially some of the ways that are, don't make them very um, sympathetic to us. I know you mentioned that in that letter that occasionally kids will um, mimic the behaviors and trigger the protective parent. So, so can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So like when a child is growing up in this home where there are, there's this dynamic going on where one person, even if it's insidiously, has control over the other person. So it might be something simple like, um, I don't know, you like country music and the offender wants to make fun of you for liking country music. So the offender like sneers when you turn on country music or says, oh, what a weirdo. And then what happens is the children learn that if they don't actually say that, then they're against the offender. They're against the abuser. So they really kind of learn to behave in a way, even if they don't truly believe it. And that's what I really want every victim to hear is that at their core, your children are attached to you. They had, whether it is one year, three years, 10 years of significant attachment to their primary protective parent. And that is your saving grace. That's, that's the thing that they always will have. He or she can never take that away, ever. And so when children are behaving this way, we almost have to, in some ways, say, it's not personal. It's, it, it's their robots. They are, they are regulating their behavior to keep themselves safe. And frankly, sometimes to keep you safe. Some, really? Well, well, so if the abuser is ready to go at you and make fun of you or mock you, and then the kid comes in and intervenes in some way by either agreeing with the abuser to basically, that will appease the abuser. If the kid agrees with the abuser, that will appease the abuser. So, so this is really like a space where it's so important that we talk about children as victims of coercive control because, uh, and now we're hearing this new terminology, coercive persuasion. This is all that the abuser is doing is coercively persuading the child in little nuanced ways in the home, in ways that the kid really, this, this beautiful child, learns that they have to behave that way or or they're going to suffer the wrath or their family's going to break apart or they're um they're going to get rejected by maybe the protective parent because the protective parent's going to be angry with them they don't know who to trust you have to understand there's like the foundation of trust is annihilated with these coercive controllers it's you know um christine there's something you just said that that stood out where you said that you know, say the offender is insulting or making fun of the protective parent and the child goes along with it and how that can help the protective parent, even though it feels counterintuitive. It's like the child is now presenting as the audience. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what the abuser always wants. We know they always want attention. 
So if the child chimes in, it's like, ha ha. And then maybe they'll, they'll stop. Exactly. Exactly. So it kind of, the kids learn what's going to work to um, remediate the situation, you know, mm -hmm. or how do I protect myself in this moment? So I, maybe I want to remediate it because I'm protecting the protective parent, which is not their job ever. It's not their job to protect us. That's what we have to remember, you know? And, and so, you know, when parents say things to me like, how come he doesn't stick up for me when his father says this to me? It's not their job and they're not capable and we shouldn't put that pressure on them. That's that is so important. I want you to pause. <laughs> that is so important. Like, because sometimes we feel hurt. Like, why doesn't my kid say something? Not their job. Not their job. So if, if our role, if we are the protective parent, then literally our role is to ensure that they get to be the children they're supposed to be as much as possible. Mm -hmm. They can't be parentified. And in those yes. moments, they're being parentified with the offender. If, if they're sticking up like with the offender and aligning, that's parentification. Right, right. We can't make them do that. That's, that's harmful to them. That's harmful to their psychological well-being. Yeah. You know, and, and so I talk about this all the time, but the, the best thing that we can be is, and, and, and we've talked about this before, Lisa, like you have to have armor. And they're going to, everybody in the house might be throwing arrows at you, the children, the abuser, and literally that shit's got to deflect off of you. It, you cannot, you, you cannot be broken by that. You can be broken with your therapist. You can be broken in the bedroom crying, but you cannot be broken by it because that is what the abuser wants. Yeah. And let's, and let's really get into that. Now, I, I, when I was announcing that we were doing this live together, I, I didn't mean to do it this way, but I think it's, it's good that I, that I did. I said, uh, I put the question out, like, what do you do when your kids um, manipulate you in the same way that the narcissistic parent does or something like that. And someone said, wait a second, what's the difference? Like, isn't it a separate thing? Like, can, are your kids actually manipulating you? Or th that's not the same thing as aligning with a toxic person. Do you want to comment on that? Like, yeah. do you think kids are capable of manipulation? Or do you think that fits under aligning with the toxic parent? Like, that's a survival well, I guess, I, well, I guess if they're aligning with the, mm -hmm. the toxic parent, but they're not buying into it, they're aligning because they're surviving, right? But mm -hmm. they're not buying into it. That's different than manipulation. Mm -hmm. That's just, I'm trying to survive here. But right. is it possible that our kids sometimes pick up on these behaviors and learn to manipulate? Well, first of all, all teens manipulate. I mean, come on, you right. You know, we've had this. I, I agree. I think, <laughs> I think I've heard from multiple people like, oh, kids don't manipulate. And I'm like, I taught high school. They definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most <laughs> children do. Most children try to get away with things. They try to push mm -hmm. boundaries. It's, it's a normal part of independence. We, right. It's kind of a healthy part of independence too, for the most part. But yeah, do they learn to manipulate and are they manipulating? Absolutely. So I guess what like there's so many categories of this there's the kid who's a hundred percent aligned with the offender when i say a hundred percent keep in mind they attach to you for five or ten years they still have that attachment that doesn't ever go away but maybe they're like i want nothing to do with my other parent my, my protective parent i want nothing to i hate them blah 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 they're a hundred percent in but then there's then there's the kids who are just playing the game to get by Mm -hmm. And so they're either manipulating you in certain circumstances, the protective parent, or they're manipulating the offender. I mean, you know, I, I mean, there's some things I don't like to talk about in particular about my personal situation, but I mean, I will say this, you know, like my daughter would say, I'm not going, I'm, I'm going over to my friends to sleep over. She was coming here because she didn't want it. She manipulated him. Right. And she didn't want to deal with him being upset that she was seeing me. So they do learn to manipulate, which is pretty sad. Yeah. That they can't be who they really want to be. And so that's why it's the most important thing that we allow them to be who they are in our space, to be safe in our space that, you know, I had a client the other night and her son, when he comes home, he talks about all the great things dad is doing with him. And she's like, well, did you forget that he cheated on me? Uh, or did oh. you, you know, or did you forget, you know, what he used to call you? 
because he, the kid was the scapegoat. Right now, the father is manipulating the child um, to to change his seat at the table, per se. And the kid is not being scapegoated in the same way. He's now becoming the favorite child because the the abuser knows this hurts the mother, the protective parent. So they're divorced. And so, but. But she can't say that to him. I, I, I said, you can't say that to him when he comes in. You can't, you can speak the truth, but you can't be reactive. And so that's her trauma, right? So we all have this trauma we're carrying and, and our amygdala is fired up because our kids trigger us. Right. And, and just explain. I know what the amygdala is. Can you just explain what people people might not know what the amygdala is? Sure. So the amygdala is in your brain, and basically, when it's it's where like your emotions are and your fight, flight, or freeze responses, right? And so, you know, in moments when you have been in trauma, I, I can ask like people out there in your audience: Do you remember the times when your abuser would call you a name and you'd cry, or do you remember the times you'd walk out the door and try to get away, right? Or do you remember the time you'd like fight back and want to call them every single name you could? and you did right okay those are all reactions it's fight flight or freeze or fawn and and so just like we have had those experiences our kids have them and when they come to us and they say something that is triggering right and and there's a, let's just be let's be perfectly frank here there's a lot of envy here with protective parents listen the kids going to that horrible person's house he probably has a new girlfriend he he probably financially decimated you i mean like, like you can't rip your head around all the things that this person has done. And, and then your kid's coming home happy after seeing them because maybe they got the new Nintendo Wii. I don't know. Right. You know what well, I mean? Well, we know that happened. I mean, every day people are saying, my ex is using money. My mm -hmm. ex is getting them gifts. So they, of course, they're aligning with that, that other parent. Parent shopping. Listen, kids are smart. They're going to they're gonna parent shop. They are. But the bottom line is if they come home to your place, even if it's a shoebox, they come home to your place and your place is safe and you're not mentioning or bringing up negative things, your place is going to be the place where they land. They don't, they're not going to care about the money eventually. But if every time they come back to your place, you're asking them questions, you're saying, well, did you forget he did this? Or you're... I think I mentioned this in another one we did, like even the simple, like, Hey, so how was dinner with dad? Well, really? Because isn't that what he's doing? Every time they go to his house, he's asking every, it's the grilling, right? He's asking the grilling, right? Right. So if they bring up, Oh, I went out to dinner at such and such a place. It was delicious. You can say, Oh, that's great. You know, and you could be happy about it, but don't, don't bring up conversations that you know are triggering for them. So don't solicit or don't elicit the conversation. Let them say let, it. Let them do it. Right. And it's almost like, and that, and that shows them too, like you have your own life. Oh my God. Your life doesn't revolve around whatever the kid is doing, whatever the ex is doing. I tell, I tell all of my clients, they're devastated. They're trauma stricken. I say, have your girlfriends over at night when your kids are home and have fun with your girlfriends. Let your children see mm -hmm. you having a normal relationship with normal people that they like and let them see you doing things without them. Let them see you being a human being because all they saw in that relationship was you regulating your behavior around the abuser. They need to see you being healthy, having outside experiences, that your life doesn't revolve around them, that you don't melt down into tears every time they call you a bitch. Right. You can't. Also, I mean, I think of it as you're modeling what healthy social behavior looks like because they're probably not seeing it at the, on the other side. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So wait, wait, my mom has friends. My mom is healthy. My mom can have, you know, like a girl's night in and, oh, wait, she's not getting drunk. He says that she's a drunk. Like, I mean, you know, there's so many aspects of this that are so important for your children to see. And they behave in front of other people usually. That's a good point. You get, you get the best of them in that evening. You get the best mm -hmm. of them. And that may be the very rare occasions that you get the best of them. So have and people you know, over. What, what, right. And you know, what I'm thinking is often when you have people over and they're behaving so well, 
the, your friends will compliment them and then you have some, you know, positive associations on top of that and they're rewarded and they, you know, they love that. Absolutely. Hire your friends to come over and to actually support, like say, oh, say, oh, Christine, this was such a good dinner. Or, oh, Christine, you're so funny. Hire your friends. You know, I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm being perfectly frank here. I talk about manipulating the manipulators here. Like yeah. how, how do we manipulate in a way our story? So they have a narrative about us. The narrative is bullshit. It's harmful. It's, it's in many cases, horrifying. Okay. I mean, so that's their narrative. How do we change that narrative? We manipulate circumstances. I don't mean like we're, we're not harming our children. We just do our very best to show them our best side, our best self, the person that is nothing. And that's, that's rule number one. We can't be anything like he has explained us to be. We, we have to be so different than what he has portrayed us to be. And so if he's portrayed us to be a yeller, you better not yell, not even once. I don't care. Right? Like, and that doesn't mean you're, people say, well, I, you know, does that mean I spoil them or how do I discipline them? Or does that mean, you know, I, I ignore bad behavior? No. No, you actually learn how to emotionally regulate. And frankly, in that relationship, you probably unlearned that if you ever had it. Emotional yep. regulation is rule number one for your children to feel safety. And it's actually healthier for you. It puts your brain in a calmer state. So, How can people learn how to do that? Oh, it's so I, I'm hard. not saying to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot, many years away, luckily. But, yes. But I but that's I'm I'm really paying attention to what you're saying and I know this is so important because also with a lot of victims we just blame everything on the ex and feel like if if he would just change or if she would just change things would be easier but we can't control that. We can control ourselves. And emotional regulation is such a great point. So can someone figure it out themselves or I'm assuming they would need some support with that. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, we could all use support, right? And, but it's about react. So I like to use two different words. There's responses to problems or issues, and there's reactions. Reactions get us into trouble. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that we respond to issues. And that really is about, first of all, being very prepared. So your kid's coming home. You know they had a, you, you assume they had a good time at the other person's house or they were manipulated in a bad way. When I use that word manipulation, I don't want anybody saying I was meaning it in a bad way. They were manipulated in a bad way by that other parent. Mm -hmm. You know they're coming home. Do you just like wait for them to come home? Or do you maybe do five minutes of meditation? Do you go take a freaking cold? You have to take a very, very cold hot shower to actually relieve your nervous system. Really? Oh yeah, like ice cold baths. Ice cold oh. baths are so important for relieving your nervous system. Go for a run, of course, all these things, but you do it before they come home. But also what you need to do is you need to prepare yourself. So it's about it's about role playing what your kid is gonna say to you. Mm. What are they going to say when they walk in the door? Oh, I had a great time. Dad's house was so much fun. Oh my God, he bought me this, he bought me that. Now I want you to think, okay, what am I going to say when my child says that? Because what I really want to say, I can't say. That's me reacting. So important, Christine. I need to respond. So it, it truly is about literally being prepared for whatever they're going to throw at you. Because mm -hmm. everything they throw, it's an arrow. It's that's, that you have to have that armor and they're going to throw an arrow. You have to be ready to, to fleck it, just flick it away. Just Let's it away. talk about that in depth. Because I remember we talked about that in depth last time. And so that's like the magic, you know, the magic one. Like, what do we do when they start saying things that feel like we're being attacked and emotionally abused all over again from like the ex's mini me? Mm -hmm. and, and there's that, that feeling of like, but I love this person, but I can't stand them. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with that? All right. So first of all, as I said last time, let's call it abuse because it is abuse, but it's abuse by someone who's been coercively controlled to abuse. So now I want you to frame it as, and I said this last time, like they're a three-year-old. Remember that three-year-old that you just adored to pieces. Okay. 
this child is so harmed. You didn't bring them up to harm people this way. You would have never, this is not your story. This was not supposed to be your story. You did not bring up a child who would harm another human being in this way, even their mother, even the, even the postman, it doesn't matter. So this is, this is devastating for you. And you need to, going back to emotional regulation, you need to grieve that. This is a grieving process. You, there is a loss. So for those of you who have no relationship with your children, you are grieving the death of a child who lives six miles away. Oh, yeah. And, uh, a great way to describe that. Because, you know, we got a lot of um, questions and feedback about, well, what if I never see my kid? My kid hasn't spoken to me in three years. I want you to take care of yourself. And I want you to grieve that. That is a legitimate grief that we don't talk about. It is worse than death. And I, I think maybe somebody who had the death of a child might argue with me, but I feel like with death, there's closure. Death is horrible. I teach a death and dying class. I'm not trying to minimize death at all, but death is closure and it's not fair and it's awful, but this is a child who you can't have a connection with. And, and it was take, it was robbed from you. It was robbed from you. And so really, what we have to be thinking about is that this is abuse, but this is abuse that this child had, this child didn't sign up for this. They didn't sign up for this life. I know you didn't sign up for it, but you're the adult. You have the brain that's developed. And I always say to people, we have a window of time, certainly until kids are 25, we have an amazing window of time to keep on influencing them. After 25, we can hope that life will teach them. But before 25, we consistently show up emotionally regulated. We got that armor. We don't let them. They do not hurt. It's not personal. It's not personal. And we consistently show up with unconditional love because the, the abuser loves them conditionally only if they do exactly what the abuser wants. We love them no matter what they do. That, Christine, is hard, though, when they're attacking us. Mm -hmm. So is. how do we deal with it when they're nasty? All right. So, so, in, so they come in the door and they say, I, I, they, this, this happened to me. They come in the door and they say, well, Dad says you had multiple affairs. <laughs> And of course, he was the one having him the whole marriage, and I didn't even know it, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, Relatable. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I'm really sorry that you heard that. It's not true. Yes, it is. Dad said it's true. Dad said it's true. You're the cheater. You're the liar. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you heard that. It's not true, honey. It's not true. Third time, they keep going at you, right? Because that's what they do. They just keep coming, right? Third time, you say, you know what? I already answered this. And you leave. Now, I preface leaving with it's not run out the door. It's not, it's just, you know what? I, I have an appointment. You leave calmly. So, you know, my abuser used to say, oh, there she goes, running out the door when I was literally putting on my running sneakers and going running to get the heck out of the house, but to be good for me, right? And so... My kids learned, oh, there she goes, running out the door, you know? Not true, not true. So, so it's really important that we are calm and that we, we respond. And I always use that three rule. Two times, I'll repeat it, just in case you didn't hear me the first time. But this is another important feature here. You have to repeat the same exact thing. You cannot explain. We've talked about this, Lisa. Do not go down the rabbit hole of explaining. Right. Do not go down the, I'm so sorry, don't cry. Just, I'm sorry. You could say, I'm sorry you heard that. It's really kind of pitiful that your kid heard that. So you can say, I'm sorry you heard that. Not true. Right. Sorry you the heard broken, that. The broken, we call that the broken record technique in education. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Say yes. the same thing, but twice. Yes. Third time, I already explained it. I already told you. Now, I mean, you know, so they're disrespectful, they're rude, they're hurtful. You want to say, stop disrespecting me. How dare you disrespect me? No, that doesn't work. 
how many times have, I mean, I, I, I would ask your listeners, like our viewers, how many times have they said that and it goes in one ear and out the other? It doesn't work. What works, <laughs> <laughs> what works is disengaging. What works is when they realize that arrow is not penetrating anymore. When you say you've disrespected me, how dare you? That arrow has gone right into your heart and they know it. They know mm -hmm. it. So they have power over you. They are in the position of the abuser. Not that they're, again, their behavior's abusive. They're not abusers. Their behavior's right. abusive. So, so they have that control. They, absolutely. You've shown them that they are, they, they're able to control you emotionally. And, and, and by the way, you. right. And by the way, I've shown them, but listen, 26 years of a marriage showed them like, like thinking about that they learn from what they've seen for so long. And so if your children have been witnessing this dynamic going on and it's one of those really insidious ones, it, you know, I mean, horrifying if somebody's physically abused, that's, that's definitely an over abuse. But if it's that covert one where they say, you know, I don't know where the keys are. You must've lost them. And, and that's, the narrative that they learned in the home, then of course they're going to be using that. That narrative is their story. We need to change that narrative. We need to change that narrative by our behaviors and our reactions are wrong. Our responses are what we need to do. We just got a, I've been putting questions off to the side, but we got one that fits with what you said. I don't know if you can see it. It says, how is disengaging different from the silent treatment? Ah, well, so stonewalling is what the abuser does, right? That's like the silent treatment. I'm not talking to you, whatever. No, no, no. So disengaging is I gave you the answer once. I gave it again. Same answer. And by the way, don't make these paragraphs. Nobody's listening to you for three sentences. They're listening to you for one sentence. It has to be a powerful sentence that comes from a place of strength. That's mm. it. That's it. One sentence. I'm sorry you heard that. That's not true. That's it. Okay? So you come from a position of strength. Then, so, so how is disengaging different than the silent treatment? Because you come back from your run and you're making dinner. Nothing's wrong. You're not upset. You know? Now, if they say it again to you, you could say, you know what, honey? I already answered you. And again, it's about me being like this place. I mean, believe me, this is hard. I want to say, what the F? Why are you asking me again? Right? Or go to your room or you're punished or give me that damn phone or you lost the car keys. No, no, no. They're pushing boundaries and you're pushing back. And that's how you win. You win by retaining your boundary. Every time they jump over that boundary post. So, you know, remember when the kids were little, tiny, tiny, and they'd start crying at six months old and the doc doctor would say they could sleep through the night. And, and you didn't do it. And then by nine months, it would take like instead of three nights for them to sleep through the night, it might take a week, a week and a half because they're getting older, right? And they're getting more in their patterns of behavior. So listen, if you put up that boundary today and tomorrow you don't stick to it, whatever it is, then you're back to square one. Yeah, so important. So that one time you lose your shit and you scream and yell, you're going to unfortunately have to start at square one. That's okay. You're learning. That's okay. You're learning. But you have to ensure that you keep a pattern of consistent behavior with them. It's not silent treatment. It's not anger. It's not anger at all. Like they come over and they're badgering you about it. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, would you please quit it? Like laugh, like make a joke of it. Deflect the, deflect the tension. What do you want for dinner? I bought your favorite ice cream. It's in the freezer. I, I mean, I told you in our last one that I, I would make chocolate chip. She, you know, we'd have an incident and I'd make chocolate chip cookies and they'd be okay. smelling up the house really yum. I mean, what am I, <laughs> you know, it's about being your best mother in a very bad situation. And, and I want to like, again, go back to that grief concept because we are grieving the fact that our kids had to grow up like this. We are grieving that the children we thought we were bringing up aren't, aren't those people, you know, because they've been harmed. They've been harmed. So, so you have to, that, that's about radical acceptance. That's a clinical, like clinically speaking, it's about radical acceptance. This is what it is. I have this much time 
to influence change. What am I going to do in this time? Am I going to look back six years from now and say, crap, I screwed up because I kept getting angry, because I kept blaming, because I kept, or am I going to look back in six years and say, you know what? I made a difference in his or her life. I made things better. Or, oh my gosh, they're healthy. They're healthy because of me, because of the attachment we had when they were babies and when they were little and five and six and nine. My ex started alienating me from my children unbeknownst to me when they were nine and 10. The first time I caught him having an affair for eight years, he was controlling them and trying to turn them against me. I didn't know it. So that's eight years of abuse. Can you, I don't know if you, I mean, let's say we're not talking about your personal thing, but how can someone influence a child like that while you're still married? I, <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't want you to talk about your own situation, but how do they do that while they're still in the home? And also, yes, this will be reposted. A lot of people keep saying they missed the beginning. Yeah, we're going to post the whole recording. So uh, ask the question again. I'm not sure. Are you asking? Okay. So, so often we worry, and I know a lot of people that we interact with say, I'm so scared about this toxic parents, you know, my ex's influence on the kids now that I'm not there to protect them. But what you're saying is that they can have that same influence while you're still together, unbeknownst to you. Can you talk a little bit about how they can do that? All right. So first of all, I mean, I'm going to tell everybody I was a domestic abuse counselor since the age of 19. I've been teaching in social work. I've taught on the power and control wheel and post-separation abuse my entire life and did not know I was married to a coercive controller. That's how covert it was in my particular situation. Some situations are not as covert. So, yes, it happens while you're still in the relationship. And, and so if you're the scapegoat, because these abusers have scapegoats, right? And so I guess, lucky for my kids, I was the scapegoat, okay? So... So then it became me kind of like confused about what was really, what the dynamic was that was going on in the family system, right? And so, but that confusion also kept me there because, right, isn't that why we stay? Because we're, we can't really make sense of it. And there's a lot of cognitive dissonance, right? We dissonate from what the truth is because we can't believe this person actually would be doing something bad. But I had no clue. And so, you know, this, this can happen under your own nose. And I think that that's the reason why, and I know it's, I know what people suffer post-separation abuse. And we talk about why people say I stayed because it's just going to get worse. I get it. But the saving grace when you leave is you can be your own person in your own space. And that is what's going to teach your children healthiness. So if you're staying because you're worried about the post-separation abuse, I'm 110% validating that that is horrifying and scary, and I totally get it. But if you can leave, if you can, it's the best thing for your kids, even if they're awful to you for two or three years. Even if, you know, I mean, and there's no promises here, right? I don't have a magic wand. You don't have a magic wand. But the best thing for them to see is you healthy. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing. And so even if you're healthy and you're living your life and you don't have anything to do with them, which is horrifying, at least you're healthy versus you in that relationship and being abused and they see that going on. Right. And then nobody's healthy. Nobody's ever. healthy. Nobody's healthy ever, ever. Right. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. The whole thing is, I mean, it just makes me so sad to think about the experiences yeah. of people. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. I'm trying to, I'm, like, I'm looking <laughs> at my questions too. That. I think somebody, um, somebody asked last night something about um, what happens. Do you tell them the truth about him? So yes. we talk okay. a little I'm bit. getting that. Somebody asked that, that question comes up all the time. How right. do I let the kids know the truth? Right. So, um, for example, like, you know, the child comes home and says, I, you're a cheater, you're a liar or whatever. Like that, that could be the perfect opportunity to say, I'm sorry you heard that. That's actually not true about me. That's all you have to say. Right. I was going to say, and that's it. You don't have to <laughs> None say. None of their business. None of their business. To, but you don't have to say it's true about him. They're going to, they're going to figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. But 
Um, I, I gave this example to you before, like, so college tuition, you know, dad's paying all my college tuition, you're not paying any. And so, you know, took out the computer, showed my son all of the withdrawals, showed him everything that had to do with college payments. He added it up. That's the truth. So it's not about me calling the other person a narcissist. Never done that. It's not about me calling the other person um, a liar or a cheater or whatever. It is about me saying that's not true and this is the truth. So I'm not going to say, oh, you're, you know, you, you know, we're not going to say to our, 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 our children, your father's a liar. He's a liar and he's never paid a dime. Well, like that persona right there, the kids aren't going to hear a damn thing you're saying. Mm -hmm. You say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I have, of course, paid your tuition. And actually, I've been the only one paying your tuition. Not he's a liar. Yeah. yeah. So you know, because that's I'm what he's doing to you, by the way, right? Of so, course. you know, you know, that that's the story. The story is, is that everything that, you know, the accusation is the confession. And so then when you start accusing them, your kids are going to wonder, well, wait a minute, is she doing the same thing he's doing? You have to be so different than that abuser. So different than that abuser. Yeah, I wanted to, um, to pause. We talked about this a little bit last time as well with why so say the kid is confronted with the truth. You have, for example, the, co the college tuition. So you've exposed the father or the other parent, mother, it happens to be, as caught in a lie. But the kid still doesn't see the truth. Why not? Mm. It's right there. You just showed them. Why don't they get it? No, because does anybody want to believe their parent is not paying their college? It's, uh, uh, listen, why did we stay in our relationships for so long? Right. Right. So, you know, we are expecting our children, boom, to get it. He, um, I don't know, locked, locked the kid out of the house, um, you know, did something horrible to the kid. And we expect them to get it when we were in these relationships for how many years? And we didn't get it and we didn't want to believe it. And their bond is different. Their bond is significant. You know, it's not like a, it's not, it's their father. Um, there's a biological like attachment there. And, you know, a lot of these abusers, um, in, in the case of a father, a lot of these abusers are really great with their kids when they're younger. I mean, the kids feed their ego. So remember, this is really like, like, you know, if we're talking about personality disorders, children feed people who need to have their egos boosted. That's what they do. So that relationship is based on how much you give me. And that's conditional. That's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Versus unconditional love. doesn't matter what you give me. And let me tell you something. Your kids are petrified. This is so important. They are petrified that your love is conditional. They are mm -hmm. petrified if they push you far enough away, you're going to be gone. You're not going to care about them. You're going to shut them out. Just like the abuser. Because, listen, they don't know who to trust. You're, you're in the same ballgame as the abuser right now because you've been so weak. And that's what it's so important that victims realize. You have to be strong and you have to show your child that no matter what they say or do to you, you are there. You are there. And it's almost like when they throw those arrows at you, they're trying to push you away as a test. It's all a test. It's all a test. That's all it is. It's, it's that three-year-old who's who you told them not to touch the light socket and they're they they look to see if you're looking and they go ahead and try to touch it right because because they're testing you they're trying to see what the boundaries are they're trying to see if you're watching them if you're going to scold them if they do it it's all a test and so we have to pass the test we have to pass it with hard colors very hard very hard yeah. But so, but so the days when I talk to my clients, the days they win, I call them winning days, right? The days that they win where they did something and it worked for them. There is such a feeling of, of joy. Like it's just an overwhelming feeling of success and joy. It's just like, you know, I don't know, you got an A on an exam. You're like, yes, so you're going to study harder next time and you're going to get an A the next time. It's, it's, it's motivating and it feels so good as a parent to know that you are influencing them in such a positive way.
It really is. Yeah, because I know it. so many of us fear. We we are terrified for our kids. I know years ago when I had no idea what was going on, it was like, what you know, my kids are going to be ruined from this. Right, absolutely. And I'm reading something right now. Um, somebody's saying, I'm six years in and the kids still side with me. I said, it's crazy. Why weren't you good enough, mom? You know, mm. so, you know, I am good enough, sweetheart. I'm right here. That's your answer. I am good enough, sweetheart. I'm right here. Or... I mean, if that mom, I don't know if she's asking if she, why isn't she good enough? That's about your self-worth. And you need, you need to take that to task because you are good enough. Your children were attached to you at birth. You are their parent. That'll never go away. He can't take that away. Yeah. Um, another question that we had gotten earlier is, so after you get out, how do you teach your kids to have their own thoughts and ideas? Because they've been so dominated. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you teach? I mean, I think you give them the ability to do that in your home, right? Like mm -hmm. that's where they have space um, to do that. So like if they're teenagers, you know, it's, it's always about giving teenagers choices so they feel autonomy. So that's, you know, that's the key about these coercive controllers is it's not that anybody who's a victim has bad self-esteem. Some do, right? But it's, cause it's really about people, these abusers strip us of our autonomy. And um, Dr. Evan Stark calls it unknowing what we know. Like, like we actually unknow what we really know to be true because they, sh they take that away from us, that ability away from us. And so our children need to be given every opportunity within parameters to make their own choices, to be able to be given opportunities to fail, right? To be given opportunities to succeed um, and to know that we're, we support them regardless. You know, I have one client right now who um, the father is just doesn't pay anything. Um, and, but advised her to apply to like 12 different colleges, um, because she's, she's smart. And of course, advised her to apply to like Ivy league schools. Now, now the mother is paying for all of these applications. <laughs> I, and, I know. I do and, too. Yeah. And, um, it just, you know, but she, it's, it's interesting because she understands she's, um, she understands that he only is doing this because he really, like, it will be an award to him if she gets into some of these schools. Mm -hmm. and, and she still did it because she wanted to make him happy, because she didn't want to deal with the repercussions. And she felt guilty about her mom paying. And, um, and, and I had a conversation with her mom about, you know, her mom understanding why she felt the need to do this. But so this child made the decision. Do you understand? She made the decision to make these applications. Yeah, it was gonna. It was only to make dad happy. She knew she was hurting her mom, but she also, we talked about letting go of that guilt, like mom's okay with it, right? And so that's the unconditional, that's the unconditional love. Her mom is not mad at her for doing it. Her mom understands this is the game. It's manipulating the manipulator. It's the game she has to play so she doesn't yeah. have to deal with the wrath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Christine, I know you have to go in a little bit, but I wanted to know, you know, people are asking, do you, let's tell, tell them about you and what services you do. And also do you see kids or just deal with the parents? Tell us a yes. little more about your background. Yeah. So I am a licensed clinical social worker, um, here in the state of Connecticut. And I also coach parents on how to best support their children who are in the middle, who are dealing with some of these circumstances. Um, I'm at coercive control is IPV, um, which stands for intimate partner violence for people who don't know. Um, so for the longest time, we didn't even, as you know, codify coercive control as domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And I call it um, intimate partner violence is actually more of the umbrella term that impacts people in all family systems. So for me, using IPV actually includes children as victims, because that's exactly what they are. So um, yeah, people can email me at coercive control is IPV at gmail.com. Or I'm on Instagram. And I'm on I finally got my TikTok up. So I'm on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I was on the wrong TikTok. I couldn't get into my old TikTok. So um, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's the same at coercive control is IPV on Instagram and on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And then someone had asked if you if you have a certain program and they're asking so and also people are 
coming from international and, and throughout this country, you can, can do things over Zoom or phone, right? If this yeah. is Connecticut. Yeah. Yep. And I'm getting my um, doctorate in March um, on uh, in coercive control. And by March, I hope to have up a program on Instagram where people can go in and do certain workshops. And to be honest, one of the workshops that I've already created um, that I do at a community college where I teach actually teaches young people about healthy relationships because truly I'm, I'm, I want to help parents, but I also really want to get involved and, and I already do it. I've been doing it my entire life, but this prevention, you know, so I would love it. Um, I'm going to have this program where people could go in and say, I want my child. I'm going to watch this program with my child about what are the differences between healthy versus unhealthy relationships and understanding the red flags. Because as you know, it's so insidious that even the most astute of us miss it. It's just crazy. And then we expect our children to understand it. It's impossible yeah. to understand. Yeah. Another question. The questions are kind of flying by, but, and this has been an issue I've noticed recently that a lot of men don't have resources and people tend to assume that it's mostly the women that are the victims, but we've certainly encountered a lot of male victims. Does your support group, or if you still have your support group going, are men allowed to go to your support group? So right now I only have one support group. And I honestly, to be honest, Lisa, I'm a little bit, um, I'm over, I have a, I'm busy. Let's just put it that way. So okay. I'm busy. Good. And so, well, I guess I, I just, um, I don't have a lot of space right now, even to see clients, but uh, please ask people to reach out to me if they want. I think the program will be helpful and the program will be for anybody who's been a, mm -hmm. a, a, a victim of coercive control for sure. And also specific to uh, female victims, because I think female victims deal with different circumstances. So, you know, not to go off on a long tangent here, but the reality is until we begin talking about coercive control from a patriarchal position, this is not to say that all men are bad, not saying that, but there is a belief system that relates to oppression and power over that is based in patriarchy. And that is why abuse happens, whether it happens to men or it happens to women, that's why it happens. So until we begin talking about patriarchy and the problems associated with patriarchy, no blaming, this is about men and women coming together to actually combat it. And the more men and women, Dr. Um, Jackson, excuse me, Jackson Katz is an amazing writer, author, YouTuber, yes, TEDx. Please, if anybody's not watched him, it really talks about how we need to engage young men and young women in this conversation. And truly that's where shift will begin to happen. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so people asked you to repeat your name and your handle again. Sure, coercive control is IPV. And my name is Christine Cochiola. All right. Thank you so much, Christine. I know there's more questions. We'll have to do another one. Thank you. Thank you. Lisa. All Bye. right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Been There Got Out podcast. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And you can find us easily on all major social media, but especially Instagram and YouTube. If you think we might be able to help you with your own situation, just visit beenthergotout.com and click the button to schedule a complimentary discovery call. Thanks again, and see you next time.